This is Come and See for April 8th, 2012, Easter Sunday. The Gospel is taken from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. The message is by Father Ron Baird. On Easter, the symbol of the resurrection that we always read every Easter Sunday is the symbol of an empty tomb. You have to admit, it wouldn't make much for jewelry, would it? I mean, you an empty, how would they know it was empty? I guess you'd have to open the door, roll the stone, and they could see it. But it really is the significant piece of, of how the resurrection intersects with our life today and what it has to do with us and why it's not just about Jesus. Here we have the story of the women. We have Mary, um, Jesus' mother. We have uh, Mary Magdalene who, with Salome who go to the tomb because they want to anoint this body. It, it really hadn't been given the proper care that a body should be given before burial because they were in such a rush because it was getting to be sundown. And, and if you're an Orthodox Jew, you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. And so it all had to be done. And it had to be done quickly. And somehow or other, to rush through somebody's funeral doesn't, that you care about doesn't seem right. And even more so, to rush through you know, this man who they had followed and given up everything for, who they had adored, certainly didn't seem right. Somehow more love and respect and honor needed to be paid. And so the women get up early as soon as the Sabbath is over and the sun's up so they can see where they're going, and they are walking to the tomb, which is outside the city wall. And it says that on the way, they were discussing amongst themselves, who are they going to get to roll away the stone? Now, you might have thought that should have occurred to them before they started walking to, to do that. And even more so, you might wonder, where were the men? He had 12 disciples. Where do you think the men were? They were? I don't even think they were in hiding yet. I think they were doing something much more common. They were in bed. That's right. <laughs> and that, that was part of it, was that they didn't normally do that. And in fact, in, before we had um, funeral homes where we take bodies and they prepare the body, Typically, and even in our own country, when someone would die, they would take them back to their home and the women of the family would wash the body and cleanse the body and prepare it to, for the viewing for people to come into the house and see. But just so, it's just like men, isn't it, to say, well, that's not my job. <laughs> As a matter of fact, my theory is that they were thinking, well, they haven't cooked breakfast yet, why would I get up? Um, but these women are going and they didn't bother to wake up Peter, or James, or John to bring them with them to roll away the stone. And you might think, well, they had assigned guards to it, so maybe they would get the guards to roll away the stone, except that you think about the attitude of the guards toward Jesus and his followers, it didn't seem like a real good option at the time. They don't really know how they're going to get the stone rolled away. They just know that this is something that needs to be done. And it's one of those things that you dread, but you have to do, and you know how you're going to do it, you just go anyway so that you can get there. And when you get there, you'll figure it out. And so that's what they do. They go, and when they get there, to their amazement, the stone's already rolled away. 
Now, you might think that to them this would be an answer to prayer. I mean, oh, good, the stones rolled away. Except that it would almost be like going to the seminary and found out that the grave had been dug up. And now they really don't know what's going on because it's not supposed to be rolled away. What could have happened? And so it says that they went inside to investigate. Now, that tells you something about it. Obviously, at this point, they're not terribly afraid. You know, because otherwise they wouldn't have just wandered into a tomb. And so, but they think something's up. Well, we need to find out what it is. And you have to wonder what was going on in their mind. What did they expect to see when they went in there? Except the tomb was rolled away, so maybe somebody had had done something to the body or had desecrated the body or had you know, vandalized the tomb or something. I mean, I didn't know. But they went in anyway because it was something they needed to do. And when they walk in, you can imagine what happens. They see a man sitting there in a white robe, a young man, it says, who says, who are you looking for? Jesus Nazareth, he in here. Now, that would be a shocker, wouldn't it? You walk into a tomb and there's somebody sitting there who you don't know talking to you. And, and they say, he's risen, and he's gone ahead of you to Galilee. Go and tell Peter and the others. And what's fascinating about it is what they do then. It says they fled. It didn't say that they thought, okay, we can go do that, and they walked back. They fled. What do you do when you flee? They ran. And it says that they were terrified. Terrified and amazed all at the same time. You know, everything, all the beliefs that they had about what life and death meant, about what, what, you know, what was supposed to happen and how things were supposed to work, had completely broken down. To me, one of the most fascinating things about the story is that they didn't question it, did they? They never said, wait a minute. <laughs> Wait, tell me what you really did with him. You know, they never questioned it at all. They, they somehow or other knew that he had risen. And they ran back to Peter. Now you might say, well, how is that a symbol for us? How does that intersect with our lives? But how many times in our lives do we have a great boulder or stone or obstacle in our way between us and where it is that we need to get? You know, we may not call it a stone or something. It may just be a hill that's too steep to climb or something that's going to be too difficult to do. I don't think I can accomplish that. I don't think I could do that. It may be a conversation that we need to have with someone that we don't think would go very well. And so we avoid having it because it would be too hard. You know, and, and we don't really expect anything good to come of it anyway. It may be a job position that we want, but all these other people are going to want it too, and why would they want me? You know, there are, all of us have those kinds of stones that are rolled in front of the entryway into the new life that we would like to have. And all too often, we don't even have the faith that these women have. We don't even try. They didn't know how they were going to get the stone away, but they were going to go do it anyway. And so they went there. And like these women, if we are willing in faith 
to walk where it is that God is calling us, even though it may look like something that we could not possibly do, what we will find when we get there is that the obstacle has been removed. It's gone. The very thing that we thought would prevent us from doing what God wants isn't an issue at all. However, the other thing that we will find when we go in is that what we expect to find on the other side is not going to be at all what we expected it to be. You know, when they went there, their concern was, how do I get the tomb you know, open so that we can go in and properly anoint his body and do what we're supposed to do? But they never did get to anoint the body, did they? It didn't happen that way. The other thing we'd like when we get to where God wants us is what our expectation is, is that if, if God does something for me and he removes this obstacle, then it's going to be easy when I get on the other side, right? I mean, because that's why he would move it is so that I could have the good things that I need in my life and so I could get there. And yet what they find is instead they get a new task. Run back. Tell Peter that he's risen. Now, We'll find out more about it next week, but I'll give you a preview. Peter and buy it. <laughs> I mean, he's like, yeah, right. He's risen from dead. So he has to go see himself. But that's the way it works, isn't it? That the, the tasks that we have, oftentimes when we finally reach that pinnacle that we think that we've been trying to get to, we think we're done. But in reality, we're just beginning. That's what resurrection life is like. It's a beginning, not an ending. That's why Jesus' resurrection has changed the nature of existence for us. It's because what we realize now is that there is never an ending. There are only new beginnings, always, for eternity. There are always new opportunities and new meaning and new life. I mean... What are the odds that Mary Magdalene, this woman from this small town of Magdala that was sort of a, a suburb of, of Tiberias, um, what's the likelihood that anybody would know her name 2,000 years later? Much less where she came from. And yet we do, because she ran and told. That's how God changes our life. It's a great deal like what happens in new life when it comes into this world. Everything is different. You go expecting one thing, but it ends up being something else. And if we begin to believe that Easter is the culmination of, of everything that the Christian faith is about, and we have now attained the pinnacle, and so after today we're done, you've missed out on all of it. Because it isn't done, it's starting. It's just the beginning. It's a new beginning. It's like when a baby is born. Jim Menke, who's a neonatologist, gave me a good illustration for it. He said, you have to imagine the baby lives in this really nice condo where their meals are provided. You know, they only have to get out of bed. You know, everything's taken care of. They're cleaned all the time. And they have a really nice heated swimming pool. Um, and suddenly when they're born, it's cold, it's bright, and it's loud. You know, and, and they finally open their eyes and they see this guy standing there who looks like he's shell-shocked. <laughs> like, 
like that's mine <laughs> and and they get to see the mother who's been in labor for 10 hours or so and thinking i hope these people know what they're doing <laughs> and the parents are thinking where's the manual to take Easter and think that it's the end is like thinking that the birth is the, is the end. Well, I guess it's the end of the pregnancy part of it, but it's not the end. There's going to be a whole lot more that comes after that. And it's a new beginning over and over and over again. That's what resurrection life is like, only even more so. You see, Jesus' death on the cross is not just about his death. His resurrection from the dead is not just about his resurrection. It's about our death and our resurrection. It's about our willingness to die to our old life and to live in a new beginning, a beginning that isn't made up of this world, but is made up of the kingdom of God itself. To be willing to do the work that he gives us to do, to be in the world, if you will, but not of the world to run back and tell skeptical people all the time that he's risen. He wasn't there. The tomb was empty. It's a new beginning. And yet, everything is different. I'm changed somehow. Imagine what it would be like in your life if you could really grasp the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for yourself if you could really live into dying to yourself and living for Christ. Nothing that the world could ever do to you could ever harm you. Because, yeah, it may be a death of a job, of a relationship with a friend, of um, you know, some security, of, of a home ownership, or whatever it may be. It may be things that we even value. But that death is a new beginning. I suppose that, you know, after birth, the baby's kind of thinking, that condo wasn't that crowded. I'd like to go back. But that's not really an option. And it is true for us, too, that if we will die to ourselves and live in Christ, we see everything as a new beginning. And every ending isn't an ending. It's a new beginning. I don't know if you ever watched West Wing. There was a TV show called West Wing that Martin Sheen played the President of the United States in. It was all about the Oval Office and stuff that was going on. But one of my one of the neatest things in the movie, I thought, was that it generally ended, not always, but a lot of times ended in the Oval Office as they've wrapped up whatever crisis they had that week. And the President would turn to his staff and say, what's next? That's what resurrected life is like. It's, what's next? Except that the what's next isn't like, oh no, what's next? The resurrected life is like, what's next? I can't wait to see the opportunity. To live in the resurrection is to wake up every morning and see the cloud pattern in the sky and be amazed at what God has done with it. To see the, the lightning and to listen to the wind and not be afraid, but to be amazed at the awesome power and glory of it that this God of ours has created. To, to look at the daffodils and the tulips and, and, and be amazed at the glory and the, the color and the vividness of life itself as it springs forth. It's to really be alive. 
not to exist, but to live, to be present. And not only just to be present, but to have meaning and purpose, to know why we are here, and to have assurance that God will remove the stone, the obstacles that are in the way of what it is that our purposes call us to. It's to look into the eyes of the person you love and smile because you remember the joy. It's to listen to a child laugh and joy in their laughter because it sounds so wonderful. It's to watch the dog frolic through the, 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 you know, the meadow and see the happiness and participate in it. It's to really be alive. Too many of us don't see the life that is around us. We simply exist through it. The path has been opened if we will die to ourselves and live with him. Because you see, his resurrection wasn't just that, you know, they pumped life back into his dead body. No, it was far more than that. The tomb is empty because his body is gone. It has been changed forever. It is now a resurrected body. St. Paul calls it a spiritual body. And while we still have mortal bodies, we also have a spiritual body. And the mortal body now is just sort of the seed that will, from which the spiritual body will sprout. We can live life, real life, the kind of life that God intended in Eden, even in the midst of the brokenness of a broken world. We don't have to, you know, debase ourselves to become creaturely and to mumble and gripe and moan and complain and bewail the way that life is anymore. Because we always know there's that fundamental question, what's next? For Mary Magdalene and Mary, it was to run and tell the disciples, what's next? No wonder they were terrified, you know, because they didn't know what was next, did they? All they knew was what's next is go tell them. But what's next then? And what's next then? And what's next then? It should terrify you to be alive. It's hard. It's hard. 